welcome to the Bethel Free Baptist Church Weekly Sermons. This is the evening service of Sunday the 13th of July 2014, entitled, What Will You Do With Jesus? And the Bible reading is taken from Matthew chapter 27, verses 1 to 2 and 11 to 25. Here's Pastor Larry T. Curtis. I invite you to stand to honor the reading of God's Word, beginning in Matthew chapter 27 and verse 1. When the morning was come, all the chief priests and elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death. When they had bound him, they led him away and delivered him to Pontius Pilate, the governor. Now we'll skip verses 3 through 10, which speak of Judas. Jump down to verse 11. And Jesus stood before the governor. The governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest. When he was accused of the chief priests and elders, he answered nothing. Then said Pilate unto him, Hearest thou not how many things they witness against thee? He answered him, Never a word, insomuch that the governor marveled greatly. Now at that feast, the governor was wont to release unto the people a prisoner whom they would. They had then a notable prisoner called Barabbas. Therefore, when they were gathered together, Pilate said unto them, Whom will ye that I release unto you, Barabbas or Jesus, which is called Christ? For he knew that for envy they had delivered him. When he was set down on the judgment seat, his wife sent unto him, saying, Have thou nothing to do with that just man? For I have suffered many things this day in a dream because of him. But the chief priests and elders persuaded the multitude that they should ask Barabbas and destroy Jesus. The governor answered and said unto them, Whether of the twain will ye that I release unto you? They said, Barabbas. Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? They all say unto him, Let him be crucified. The governor said, Why, what evil hath he done? But they cried out the more, saying, Let him be crucified. When Pilate saw that he could prevail nothing, but that rather a tumult was made, he took water and washed his hands before the multitude, saying, I am innocent of the blood of this just person. See ye to it. Then answered all the people and said, His blood be on us and on our children. Father, we thank you this evening. Lord, for the privilege of being in your house this evening. We do thank you again, Lord, for your word, for your Holy Spirit that lives and dwells within us. We thank you, Lord, for each one that has been able to come out this evening. Now we pray, Lord, during these next moments that we look into your word, that by the power of your spirit that you would speak to our hearts, Lord. Give us that which you would have for us this evening. and We will give you all the praise and honor for it. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. Just really a couple of simple thoughts this evening. Certainly a familiar story to all of us as Christians. And of course, we, we backed up and we read in the chapter before we would find all that took place as Jesus was first taken from the garden there and that he was taken. And of course, all the accusations that were brought against him that were false. And we lead up to this point in our reading here today where that the Sanhedrin have delivered Jesus to Pontius Pilate, the governor. I'd like for us to think for just a moment this evening on a simple question that was asked there in verse 22 
But Pilate saith unto them, What shall I do then with Jesus, which is called Christ? Now, of course, we know that Pilate, because of the influence of the multitudes of the people and what they were wanting and what they were calling for, even though he knew from what he was saying, he knew that Jesus was an innocent man. And yet under the pressure, what he did with Jesus was to turn him over to them to be crucified. I want to give you three thoughts tonight as we think, you know, what what will we do with Jesus or what will you do with Jesus? And first of all, I'd like to say that we recognize that that's probably a question that must be asked of each and every one of us, and we know without any shadow of a doubt that it deals with our eternity before God. But as we think on it this evening, it's not a question that only lost people must answer, but it's a question that we as believers must answer also. What will we do with Jesus? I want to say, first of all, that the answer to that question is a determination that is paramount. It's going to determine a lot of things in your life. I'd like to give you just a few of those, and it's certainly not exhaustive. But first of all, if we turn to John chapter 3, and of course, following that tremendous verse that is probably one that has spoken to so many people over the years, in verse 16, when it said, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. He goes on to say in verse 17, For God sent not his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. Verse 18 says, He that believeth on him, Jesus, is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. What will we do with Jesus? We see that answer to that question will determine for every human being whether we are condemned or whether we are saved. It determines our condemnation or our salvation. And the Bible in these simple verses are telling us so clearly that because of God's great love for us, Jesus didn't come to condemn anybody, but that they might be saved. And he did what he did to save the souls of mankind. And yet he puts it very clear that the responsibility comes back to what are we going to do with him? He came to this world to save our wretched souls. He says, if we believe on him, if we believe on him, we will be saved. But if not, we will be condemned. Why? Because we believe not on the name of Jesus, the only begotten Son of God. What will we do with Jesus? Well, it's a determination that is paramount because it determines our condemnation or our salvation also determines something else in our life. If you look into the uh, book of Romans chapter 5, he says there in verse 1 and 2, and remember now Romans is being written to Christians. We read from John that wonderful message that goes out to every human being on the face of the earth. But here in Romans 5, chapter 5, he says, therefore, 
being justified by faith. That's a child of God. That's somebody that's already put their faith in Christ. Being justified by God, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Verse 2 says, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace wherein we stand. Rejoice in hope of the glory of God. What will we do with Jesus? The answer to that will determine our peace with God and our access into his grace. Now we realize that for by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God lest any man should boast. It is only by God's grace that any of us are saved. But it's also by God's grace that we stand and live our Christian lives. What will we do with Jesus Christ well, here as Christians, it says, depending upon what we do with Jesus Christ, whether by faith we can enter into that grace where we stand, not only where we're saved, but where we stand as a child of God and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Regardless of our circumstances, regardless of what anybody says or does, what will we do with Jesus? That'll determine our peace with God and that access that we have into his grace where we stand as believers. Turn back to the gospel of John one more time. And of course, we recognize that as we looked in Genesis this morning, Genesis 1 began in the beginning. God created the heaven and the earth. In John chapter 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shineth in darkness, and the darkness comprehendeth it not. If you look on down, Verse 11 says, he came unto his own, and his own received him not. But, verse 12 says, as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. Past tense, those that believed, once we have believed on the Lord Jesus Christ and put our faith and our trust in him, we're a child of God. He says here that them that believed became become the sons of God. What do we do with Jesus? You see, what we do with Jesus determines even as we sit here this evening exactly where we are in our relationship with God, determines whether we become part of God's family, whether we are his child. As we look at what the Apostle Peter said, notice what he said in 1 Peter chapter 1 as he begins his letter here. 1 Peter chapter 1, and of course, talking about the Lord, we find that, well, this is where he goes on so long, it's hard to, to find the place we, 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 uh, to start, but I'd like for you to, to look there at verse 6. He says, wherein ye greatly rejoice. Though now for a season, if need be, you're in heaviness through manifold temptations, 
We looked at this verse 7 on Wednesday evening, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perisheth, though it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. He says in verse 8, whom having not seen, ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, ye rejoice with joy unspeakable and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, even the salvation of your souls. We talk about those words a lot, joy unspeakable and full of glory. You see, there are a lot of things that may be going on in your life right now. There are a lot of things that may come your way this week that would really attempt to take away your joy. Oh, you're still healthy and you're still getting on and you're, and you're doing your job and you're going about all those things that you do day in and day out. But we're talking about what will you do with Jesus? Because it's the answer to that question that will determine your joy. Not what's going on. Not all the tough things, not the trial of your faith that it's talking about here. He's talking about with all of that going on, even when your faith is being tried, that you can have a joy unspeakable and full of glory. I mean, can you imagine? He says a joy that is just so joyful, you can't even speak it. You can't explain it. You can't describe it. Doesn't make any sense for you to be happy when those things are going on in your life. It doesn't make any sense that you can have that kind of joy. When you're going through such trials, it's not because of the situation, but it's because of what you do with Jesus. What you do with Jesus will be determine your joy in this life. And I want to give you one other that's found in the Gospel of John also. And of course, this takes us back in a way to where we started with, with this question, but it also should remind us that day by day with every human being that our paths cross, what they do with Jesus will determine everything in their lives. John chapter 5, notice what he says in verse 24. He said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, He that heareth my word and believeth on him that sent me, Jesus talking, hath everlasting life and shall not come into condemnation, but is passed from death unto life. We talk about a lot of things in this world. We get excited about that. It's a matter of life and death. It's so important. It's so urgent. <coughs> but may I say to you this evening that if we really boil it all down, the one thing that truly is a matter of life and death is what you do with Jesus. What will you do with Jesus? The answer to that question, that simple question, is a determination that is paramount in your life because so many things are determined by what you do with him. But not only is the answer a determination that is paramount in your life, I'd like to say that that answer is a decision that is personal to you. Nobody else can decide what you're going to do with Jesus. Others can decide whether they're going to maybe even tell you about Jesus. But each individual can only answer that for themselves. And, you know, the thing is, is that when it comes down to it, 
It's not a hard question. And every time that that question is answered, you'll find that there's really only two choices to make. What will you do with Jesus? We're turning back to the Gospel of John chapter 3 again. Notice what he says there in John chapter 3 and verse 36. It really is very simple. You make the decision, he that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. You see, what will you do with Jesus? You can either believe or not believe. There's no other option. You can't partially. You either believe or you don't believe. In that same book, if you look over just a few pages into chapter 12, he puts it a different way here. What will you do with Jesus? Well, in the Gospel of John chapter 12, beginning in verse 44, the Bible says, Jesus cried and said, He that believeth on me, he that believeth on me, believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. You know, just like we saw in John 1, you can't separate God the Father and God the Son. You can't believe on one and not believe on the other. Jesus said, he that believeth on me believeth not on me, but on him that sent me. And he that seeth me seeth him that sent me. I am come a light into the world that whosoever believeth on me should not abide in darkness. Do you know that it's an impossibility to believe on Jesus Christ and yet live in darkness? He is the light. He's the one that lights all the nothing. The darkness could never comprehend it. It could never overcome that light that came when Jesus came. He says in verse 47, And if any man hear my words and believe not, I judge him not. For I came not to judge the world, but to save the world. When Jesus came at the first incarnation, he didn't come to judge at that time. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. Oh, there'll be a second advent, and he will come, and he will set in judgment. But Jesus wasn't here to judge at this time. Verse 48 puts it very simple. He that rejecteth me and receiveth not my words hath one that judgeth him. The word that I have spoken, the same shall judge him in the last day. You've heard me say many times that when Jesus comes back and he sits upon that throne to judge, the book of Revelation says, and the books were opened. This is what will be judged from, the word of God. Jesus said it here. What will you do with Jesus? We're not sitting in judgment right now, but what we do with Jesus will make a huge difference. <laughs> As a matter of fact, it'll determine which judgment that we sit at. The answer, that decision, he puts it very simple in verse 8. You either receive him or reject him. Receive him or reject him. Okay, 
We receive him or reject him to become a child of God, but not just to become a Christian. We looked the last couple of Sundays, not this week, but Sunday, last Sunday and the Sunday before that, about the open doors that are before us. We talked about this one in Revelation chapter 3 and in verse 20. And we said that even though that this is sometimes used in speaking to people and leading them to Christ, its primary purpose here is not to the lost. It's to the Christian. It was being written to a backslidden church at Laodicea. It was being written to a church that wasn't hot or cold. It was lukewarm. He would that they were hot or cold. He said he would spew them out of his mouth. But he tells them here in verse 19, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten the zealous, therefore, be zealous, therefore, and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him and will sup with him and he with me. There is no question, there is no doubt. The child of God, Jesus comes knocking. If we will hear his voice and open the door, you see that answer is a personal one that only you can make. But when Jesus knocks on your heart's door, you really only have two choices, let him in or shut him out. It's that simple. Every time he knocks, you will either let him in or you will shut him out. We find that in Matthew chapter 10, and of course, again, I believe this can be applied in both senses of when we come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, but, you know, the last job that he left for us was to be witnesses of him. He tells us here in Matthew chapter 10, notice what he says in verse 32 and 33. He said, Whosoever therefore shall confess me before men, him will I confess also before my Father which is in heaven. But whosoever shall deny me before men, him will I also deny before my Father which is in heaven. Now we know that the consequences are different for Christians and for lost people. But we know it's not just lost people that deny him. Of course, just prior to the verses that we read in the chapter before in our text for this evening, Peter, one of his own apostles, one that said, Lord, everybody else may forsake you, everybody else may, but I would never do that. Yet three times he denied his Lord. When the pressure was built, when the pressure was on, when the crowd around him was not the saved people but the lost people, when he had to make a choice, he had to either take a stand and confess Jesus or deny him. I say this evening, I, as far as I know, you're all Christians. So you've confessed him as your Lord and Savior. But what will you do with Jesus tomorrow when you're in the world? When everybody around you is a non-believer? When you become the oddball? When you're the black sheep of the crowd? However that you want to determine it. What will you do with Jesus there's really only two choices here that we have. We either confess him or we deny him. We find that 
just a couple of pages in Matthew chapter 12. He really makes it clear in verse 30. Matthew chapter 12, verse 30, says, He that is not with me is against me. He that gathereth not with me scattereth abroad. You see, this goes back to the same thing that he was rebuking the church at Laodicea for. They had a lot of good things going on. But the problem was they didn't even realize, they didn't even see where they were in the coldness of their hearts. He says there is no straddling the fence here. There's no sitting in the middle. You see, you either confess him or you deny him. You're either for him or you are against him. We find that that's the choice we have. Will we be with him or will we be against him? The vast majority of people probably that we run into, sure, you'll run into a few believers that absolutely believe in him and you'll run into a few atheists that don't believe in a God at all, they say. But probably a vast majority of the people that you run into in your day-to-day life are just going to be agnostics. (laughs) They're trying to sit on the fence and not make a choice anyway. But you see, my simple question this evening is, what will you do with Jesus? Because the way that you answer that question is going to determine so many things in your life. Not only is it going to determine whether you're saved or not, it's going to determine your peace and your joy in your day-to-day life. The answer is a decision that is personal to only you. And in every case that we see, when he gives us that choice, what are we going to do with Jesus? Believe or not believe, receive or reject, let him in, shut him out, confess him, deny him, be with him or be against him. There's only two choices. There is no middle ground to answer that question with. And I want to give you one final thought tonight. What will you do with Jesus? (coughs) You see, the answer is, a determination that is paramount in your life. The answer is a decision that is personal to you that you will make. The answer is a declaration of the position that he has in your life. You see, the way that we live our lives, what we do with Jesus really will speak not only to God but to those around us of just who Jesus Christ is. What position does he really have in our lives? Now, as you turn back to your text here in Matthew, I want you to back up to the chapter before in Matthew chapter 26. And I want you to notice just two verses there. This is when Jesus was brought before Caiaphas because Jesus was asked a question here. In verse 61, it says, and said, this fellow said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to build it in three days. They're saying, Jesus, this man here, he said he's able to destroy the temple of God and then to rebuild it again in three days. Of course, we know that he was talking about this temple, his temple, the death that he would die. And that same man that would rise three days later as that temple was restored. We find that if you look back some 700 years before, 
In Isaiah chapter 53, we looked at this passage during our last communion. I'm just going to read a portion of it in verses 4 to 6. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. We saw him being, being beaten. We saw them getting the upper hand. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord hath laid on him, Jesus, the iniquity of us all. You see, when Jesus Christ was being accused there of destroying the temple and raising it in three days, the truth is, is that what we do with Jesus, because he is your Savior. He is your Savior. They didn't realize what they were even saying. But the truth is, is that the position that Jesus Christ, first of all, has to take in each and every one of our lives is as our Savior. What you do with Jesus will determine that position that he holds in your life. But he was asked another question here in the very next verse there in chapter 26. Notice what it says in verse 63, but Jesus held his peace. And the high priest answered and said unto him, I adjure thee by the living God that thou tell us whether thou be the Christ, the Son of God. We find that they're really asking him, are you the Christ? Are you the Messiah? Are you the Son of God that he has sent to this world? And he answered, thou has said, yes, he is the Christ. He is the Son of God. What will you do with him? He is the Savior of all that will come. He is the Messiah, the Son of God, God incarnate in the flesh. And of course, then in chapter 27, in verse 11, they ask him another question. This time before Pilate. And he said there in verse 11, he said, And Jesus stood before the governor, and the governor asked him, saying, Art thou the king of the Jews? And Jesus said unto him, Thou sayest, Are you these people's king? Just a couple of verses. First of all, notice, the book of Acts, chapter 2. In Acts, chapter 2, and notice, notice what it says there in verse 36. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God hath made that same Jesus. What same Jesus? The same Jesus that you nailed to the cross, the same Jesus that you found an empty tomb when you went looking for him, let ye know assuredly 
that God hath made that same Jesus whom ye have crucified, both Lord and Christ. Oh, he was the Son of God. He was the Messiah. He was our Savior. The Bible says here, he was both Lord and Christ. Your chapter's over in chapter 5. Notice what he says in verse 31. Him, Jesus, hath God exalted with his right hand to be a prince and a savior, for to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins. He was prince. He was royalty. Oh, yes, he was the savior. That's not all that he was. Look with me, if you would, as Paul was writing to the church at Philippi. In Philippians chapter 2, notice what he says in verses 9 to 11. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. i give you one other passage. When it all comes to a culmination, Revelation chapter 19 And in verse 16, the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And as we have this description of him, as the heavens open and he comes back, behold that white horse that he sits upon. We find many things about him, but notice what he says in verse 16. And he hath on his vesture and on his thigh a name written, King of kings and Lord of lords. What will you do with Jesus? It's such a simple answer, but it's sometimes a hard answer. We see in these simple passages that we've looked at, certainly with, with Pilate, he knew better. He knew that this man was innocent, and yet the choice that he made, was to let them crucify him. Oh, he tried to clear himself. I'm washing my hands. His blood's not on my hands. But he made a choice. He had a choice to make that day, and he made it. We see that the choices are made over and over and over. What will you do with Jesus? The answer to that is a determination that is paramount in your life. Don't misunderstand how big it is, how important that it is. Why? Because that will determine. It will determine your eternity, yes. But it's also what you do with Jesus. Too many times, too many Christians are going through their life day by day. He's not even in their thoughts. They're just getting on with the things. They're on autopilot. They don't have to think about it. What you do with Jesus, it will determine your salvation, your condemnation or your salvation. 
but it'll also determine your peace with God. You're standing in grace. God's grace is sufficient for whatever we have to face. It'll determine whether you're genuinely a child of God, part of his family. It'll determine your joy. What you do with Jesus will determine whether in the midst of those trials of your faith that you can know that that joy that is unspeakable. It'll determine life or death, not only now, but for eternity. The choices are simple. Every day, we believe or not believe, receive, reject, let him in, shut him out, confess him, deny him, be with him or be against him. You know how we answer that question, what will we do with Jesus? He is the Savior of the world. To all that will believe, to all that will come to him, he is also the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. Is he Lord of your life? Is he King of your life? Is he in control of your life? Is that what is paramount to you this evening, tomorrow? Does Jesus have that position in your life? Is he really in control? What shall we do with him? Well, I would finish up this evening, and I would ask right now, what will you do with Jesus right now? What place will he have in your life right now? Hopefully he is your Savior. What place does he have in your life right now, because the place that he has in your life is going to determine even how the rest of your evening goes. (laughs) It's going to determine how you sleep tonight. It's going to determine how you face tomorrow. Pilate made a terrible choice under pressure, just as Peter did. You know, there was a big difference in the two of them. Peter repented of what he did. Peter wept, he cried, he was sorry. He turned back to his Lord. And after the power of the Holy Spirit came on his life, that same Peter stood on the day of Pentecost. He preached his heart out. That same Peter went through the Scriptures preaching Jesus, proclaiming Jesus, until one day it finally cost him his life. It's not a question of what we have done with Jesus. The real question is, what will we do with Jesus right now? Let's not just use him, as you've heard me say before, like a a fire insurance policy. Let's not use him just as a dose of religion to hopefully get us to heaven one day. What will we do with Jesus right now in our life? What will we do with Jesus tomorrow on the job? in the places, when we're out there and it's just us and him and maybe everybody else around us, they've never, ever, ever, they've never come to know that Jesus that you know. What will you do with him before those people? What will you do with him when those trials really come and things really pile up on you and things are tough? What will you do with Jesus when everyone else is belittling you and putting you down? And even as we talked this morning, even when we look at the Genesis account of Scripture, you know, when they're trying to make you 
look like the fool. They're trying to make you look like the one that has no knowledge. And there is no knowledge of man that compares to the knowledge of God. Well, we should try to have all the knowledge that we can possibly have. But when that knowledge goes contrary to knowledge, it's not real knowledge at all. What will you do with Jesus? Don't just go out of here with him on the shelf somewhere, knowing that one day that you'll stand before him and that you'll get into heaven because who Jesus is. But what will you do with him day by day? Today, tomorrow, this week, what will you do with him? Father, we thank you this evening. Lord, it's a simple question that even as I read that passage from your word, we realize that Lord Pilate had a choice to make of what he was going to do with Jesus. He went totally against what he knew was right because of the pressure of the people. Lord, we know that day by day, even though that we've maybe made that choice to receive Christ into our lives, to seek that forgiveness of sin because of what he's done for us, Lord, I pray that you'd help us day by day to continually be aware of that question, to let it be paramount in our lives, to let it be that question that when we ask it, that we can answer it correctly, not as Pilate did. But Father, help us to be on your side. Help us to open that door. Help us to hear and believe and receive all that you have for us Lord, we pray that you would be a part of our lives in everything that we do and all that we are. We give you all the thanks for it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen.